Welcome to Unravel Our Travel, where two enthusiasts dive into their favorite trips, tips, and tricks. Hi, Jordan. Hey, Lauren. What's up? Oh, you know, just going to talk about travel, (laughs) what we usually talk about on the show. (laughs) That's why we come here in our respective rooms. Yeah, I um, it's funny because I had a, a huge moment of realizing how much I personally need this because I was trying to remember the place we're going to talk about today and it was only well actually it was four years ago now which is hard to believe I thought it was I'm always like oh it was two years ago it was four years ago which is wild and I couldn't remember as many details I was looking at pictures asking myself what is this building I remember it had something to do with this event but I don't know what it is so I, I just had a moment where I was like, I wish we I would, had been doing this four years ago, so maybe I'd remember what picture of this yellow building with these turrets was. Yeah, this podcast comes at a very opportune time in our lives because we've already done a lot of traveling at this moment. And as things start, as we start going in different directions and other things start happening, it's easy to lose those memories that we have. So I think now is a good time for us to get into the podcast. So it's opportune timing on our part to get into this it was just it was scary to think i've already (laughs) forgotten so much yeah it's it's pretty gross to be honest how much you can easily forget about a lot of things that you do in your life that's why it's good to take notes and to take pictures when you can i know and if i hadn't i don't remember if i said this on one of the previous podcasts but when i switched to my new phone recently i somehow deleted all of the notes on my phone that had all of the like stories and trips and mythologies I'd written down uh, while traveling and it was so depressing. Do you have a photo backup that you use? I didn't. It's gone. Do you do now? No, no I should No, a photo have. backup. Oh, a photo backup? Yeah. No. But I doubt- So how have you not learned this lesson? <laughs> because it was my Lauren. notes. It was in notes. Yeah, but that's the same thing can happen to your photos. I know, but I usually download the like. So I download those to my computer, and then I put them on a thumb drive as another backup. Okay, at least you have that. But I, I think you should have it digitally. As I know. Well. So the problem is, I hate iCloud. So I need to do something else. iCloud is the biggest. I won't go into it. It's fine. I just I think as the, a throwaway recommendation, I can recommend the Google Drive. I pay three dollars a month for two hundred gigabytes of storage. Mm-hmm. And I have all of my photos on, on there. there. And I have 150 gigabytes still free of data. Oh, wow. So it provides a lot of wiggle room. Okay. I would highly recommend looking into that. I know. Uh, I sh- just I so should. you don't lose your photos. Could you imagine? I, so- no, that's why I do this. That's why I have a backup because I can't imagine that. It would be crushing. All right. I need to do that. Anyways, Dude. we're not here to talk about how to I know. How to back up your phone. So before I jump into where we're going today, I do just want to take a minute and quite honestly, I don't have a lot of eloquent things to say about what's going on right now um, regarding police brutality and Black Lives Matter. And we normally use this podcast, I feel like, almost as an escape from reality and, a, and something for us to look back on in the future But the reason I want to at least note it is, at its core, I don't think anything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement 
should be considered political. So I don't think this is us making our podcast take a political stance. I think it's something unbelievably important happening. And I think part of what we're seeing is talking about education. And I can't talk too much about that further because I'm at the beginning of a very long process of educating myself, um, more specifically on the Black Lives Matter movement, on systemic racism, on police brutality. So it's not my voice that needs to be heard about that. But something I do want to say is one of the reasons I really wanted to start this podcast, uh, not just as an escape and as a place for our fun memories, but travel is unbelievably important to me. And while I want to acknowledge that I think some aspects of our travel and the amount we've been able to travel is extremely privileged, for people that have the opportunity to travel, I think you should take advantage of it again when we can after this pandemic because so many of the people I've met who have traveled and have taken the time not just to go to an island, to go to Bermuda and hang out on a cruise ship and drink, but to see other cultures and learn about other cultures and see things from different points of view, it helps you to admit when you're wrong, I think, and when you need to learn more and when you need to open your eyes and educate yourself and not try and see the world just through the lens of the town you grew up in or the state you grew up in. Um, yeah, so that that's really all I want to say, but I just think that travel is a way to further educate yourself, and it's something that I don't know if we always talk about it a ton on here in our stories, but I know it's something that we've talked about how much we've learned about other people and other cultures off of this podcast, and I think that's just an incredibly important thing to note. And if you're someone who has traveled and you're still not getting it, you should maybe try and travel in a different way or travel somewhere that really pushes yourself outside of your comfort zone instead of the same standard places. Yeah, perspective offers a lot of insights into yourself and then the world around you. Yeah. So it goes a long way. Anyways, just wanted to leave it at that because that's all I am qualified to say, quite honestly. But uh, where we're going today, we're actually staying in the same country we were last week or a couple weeks yeah, ago. I don't think this has happened before. I know. Same country, different different city. But we're going to be staying in Germany and traveling to Munich. Fun, fun. Yes. So I was there around December 10th, so early December in 2016, which that year just sounds archaic. It sounds so old at this point. A century ago. And it, this was after you and I had met up in our Prague and Vienna trip, correct? Yes. So this was the last leg of the trip that I took during, basically, we had a break before finals. And you're supposed to use the week or week and a half to study and prep for your finals. And we traveled. Uh, so Sam, my friend, and I had just left you in Vienna. We hopped on a bus. I'm pretty sure it was Flixbus. We love Flixbus. I forgot to add them in our last Instagram post, and I'm so <laughs> sad. Well, you just said it now, so now we can put it in. I am. Flix, Flixbus, I'm adding you in this Instagram post. We love you. But we did. I, I can't remember how long it was. from. I can barely remember some of the pictures I took, but I can't remember how long it was. It wasn't a bad bus ride. 
we were dropped off somewhere totally random and we did not prepare for not being right near our hostel when the bus dropped us off. So we were a little bit lost. We didn't have any data and we didn't know where we were going. So we had all of our stuff on us, which to be honest, we're very used to traveling light. So it wasn't that much, but it was enough of a bag that we're sort of like very clearly tourists fumbling around and it weighs weighs you down it too weighs you while. down yeah the straps like cut into your shoulder and i think we ended up having if sam listens to this he'll have to correct me if i'm wrong but i think we ended up having a 20 plus minute walk with all of our stuff sort of wandering around at one point i wasn't sure we were going into the best area of the city uh but it ended up being really nice we stayed at another wombats which is where we stayed in vienna wombats hostel and they're my number one hostel if if i can find them in the city or country i'm going to now i would recommend them 10 out of 10 times uh so we got in and it was actually it was really pretty like the one that you and i stayed in in vienna mostly just had it's like wide open lobby and a bar area and that was really it this one did have a bar but set further back And in between the bar and the lobby was this sort of greenhouse room. Like, it was really warm and glassed in, and there were all these plants and, like, cushions. It was just really pretty. I don't know. It was very relaxing. And we met the most interesting people there. I just remember they they did offer a breakfast. We were down at breakfast one time, and we ended up sitting next to these two Australian women that were traveling and had, like ended their relationships and they must have been in their late 30s and it was just like freedom i was like wow i respect goals? that <laughs> goals question mark uh <laughs> and there's traveling around and it was so fascinating to me because i had made a couple australian friends during my time studying abroad and i'm telling you this is a first of all this is a broad generalization based on a small number of people i met like comparatively They have it right. Like, every, I swear, every Australian person I met wasn't, like, on a couple-week vacation. Like, even if I went to Australia, I probably could only swing, like, two weeks off. They were doing a full tour of Europe. They were there for months to two months, had just, you know, walked away from their job, but would be able to go back to it. And I don't know how that that is a thing there, but I think we should study it. And bring it over here where I could say, I'm going, hey, I'm, I'm going traveling for two months. I'll be back. Every Australian person I met. I'll make an even broader generalization and say that the people of the Anglosphere, excluding the United States, are just have this very unique energy to them where they do that kind of stuff. And then they're always like the life of the party. Right. And then they just always have a good time. Like British people. And Australian people, I haven't met any Kiwis. The Canadians are kind of like us, but yeah. they're all fun. They're all a good time. It's just <laughs> it's just wild to me. Anyways, they were, it's funny. I can't remember half, like, what was behind half of the pictures I took of these, like, probably very monumental buildings, but I will never forget having breakfast with those two women. I don't know. Yeah, they leave an image. They do. And I was like, what am I, what am I doing wrong? I need to. Did you add them on Facebook? No, I didn't. I, uh, every now and then when I meet somebody, I'll add them on like Instagram or Facebook or whichever one is 
there and then like a year later i see them pop up on my feed and like who are these people (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) and then it just comes flashing back that i met them at this dinner one time (laughs) i love that i think i would have i was i can't remember if it was at that we talked to them i think twice and one of the times i was on which this is very rare for me but i just remember being on small talk overload where I just mm. sort of wanted to sit in the corner with my friend that I knew and have a drink, which I, that's very unlike me and very unlike what I say on every episode of what you should do. Uh, but when you're traveling for a while, everyone, you're just like, okay. Yeah, it's exhausting. Um, Meeting and I don't people know, is exhausting. I don't know if that's why I didn't ask them, but they were fantastic. That's okay. You're not missing anything. Well, maybe I am. I'm sure they're still traveling because it's been four <laughs> years, so it's time for their three-month <laughs> excursion again. <laughs> Of course. Anyways, now that we've digressed into my favorite Aust- like Australian people and my favorite thing that I wish that we could do here in the States. Um, Sabbaticals. I know. But a lot of companies, you have to be there for six to eight years. Maybe that's why they're there. They're there for six to eight years and then they do these sabbaticals. They, that's not what it sounds like to me. Like most or of the people I met. just leave of absences. I know, but most of the people I met were just like, yeah. And then, like, one of my friends did their month and a half long tour of Europe and then flew over to Canada and was like, yeah, I'll get a little job at a ski mountain, see how long I stay here, maybe go home. What? I think maybe it's more of a me thing that I am too much of a control freak with my life to just. I think, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it because technically you could do that. But it's a matter of security, too, of financial security more than anything. Right. And just you can go and you'll probably be fine. Probably. But Bye, Hunter. The I'm it... leaving tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm heading out on my whirlwind adventure. Anyways, if you were listening to this to hear about Munich and not about my control issues, we'll switch back to that. Uh, Wombats was... I want to say uh, it was a pretty close walk to the main part of the city that we wanted to be in that I think is considered their old town. And it was probably a 10, maybe 15 minute walk. It wasn't too bad. And it was just so cool when you walk up to it. I forget. Have you been to Munich, Jordan? I have. I was going to say yeah. that I went there with my family. Oh, okay. Uh, but I was there for probably two days. And unfortunately, I don't have a strong recollection of the city itself so we went to a f- we went to a few of the big sites and i may re- uh, remember some of those but not enough to yeah well feel free to toss yours in because it yeah, maybe definitely. our two recollections together will make one full visit piece yeah piece together the whole story yes um but i just loved the old city gates that you walk up to uh from really it was a walden city at some point as most cities were <laughs> And the gates are just, they're huge and you walk through. It's really more of an arch than like gates at this point. But it's just a really cool way to enter the city because you feel like you're letting go of the new bustling area and you're walking in, almost being transported to a new time. Something that's worth noting that we talked about a little bit on the last podcast where Jordan talked about Berlin and Dresden is Munich was rebuilt but sort of in an old fashion um, to try and still have that feel. But it was mostly demolished in World War II as well. So it was one of the German countries that pretty much as you're walking down the old city, 
all of the facades, while they're built to still look pretty old and so you really have that great feeling, they're actually reasonably new because they they were rebuilt. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting thinking about that rebuilding versus Dresden not being rebuilt versus Cologne rebuilding but in total modern style. So really interesting and then Heidelberg history. was never touched in the right. bombings, so it's all very different. True, yeah. Very different histories with all the different cities around Germany. Really interesting. Um, but the number one thing that I experienced, and I don't know, I'm assuming you were probably there also in December or January, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought the most striking thing about when we were in Munich were the Christmas markets. They're known for having some of the best, and they just sprawl through most of the old town um so the main area is really in Marienplatz plaza so where the town hall is which is just usually a a gorgeous building in general and fun to say one of the only words i can somewhat pronounce and you want to say it no the rat house (laughs) yeah yeah there you go (laughs) patting myself on the back uh But that is where, if you imagine, I think of it almost as that's like the centerpiece. So that's this big circle of all of the different uh, craft stands and food stands. But then it snakes out and sprawls out from there in almost every direction. And what's interesting is the area we entered in was called Neuhauserstrasse. And it is the street or area that has the largest manger Christmas market. So it's the actually like really religious area. Like you can walk out to all the other areas and I don't know, find candles or a clock, probably shot glasses. But this area that we were first walking through that is outside of St. Ooh, I think it is St. Stephen's. There's always a St. Stephen's Church, I swear, in every Popular single guy. city. St. Stephen's or St. Michael's. I have it listed somewhere. I'll find it. But it was just, we were surrounded by all these little tiny baby Jesuses. It was very interesting. And I know there's, like, cultural reasoning behind it, but I was just, like, I would feel so weird if I was just buying, like, I wanted to buy a bunch of baby Jesuses. No, I'm just gonna, So you, you're yeah. saying you didn't buy a lot of baby Jesus? I, did, I didn't. I'm trying, my mom's going to get so mad at me, but I really... There were some interesting ones, and I really wanted to buy them and like hide them around the house. My very Roman <laughs> like the Catholic elf on the mother. Shelf. Yeah, I don't think that that's it. Yeah, it's like Elf on the Shelf, but it's <laughs> I'll think of something good for Jesus on the something. Um, anywho, before I offend everybody, it was it was really beautiful though because there was a lot of handmade wooden carved items, so it was cool to wander through there. But. We were a little confused because we did think that was going to be all of the Christmas markets. It wasn't. Um, But along the path, there was this little wooden stand that had drinks at it. And so we'd been doing a lot of the glue vine or the the hot mold wine. And something I love and had been trying to find all end of November, beginning of December, back in Edinburgh was eggnog. I weirdly love eggnog at Christmas. And... They had it, and it was right on their chalkboard sign, this cute little area. So we go up, and we ordered two glasses of eggnog, and it's in this, like, giant cauldron. 
And it's steaming. Like, ugh, like warm, creamy eggnog. What? Yeah, that's not really appetizing. No, no. Well, it's not what we, like, I thought that was the mulled wine in there. (laughs) And so we order the eggnog, and I'm expecting this, like, kind of refreshing. I mean, it's so thick, but it's, like, refreshing, like, cooler glass. And they portion it out into almost these two champagne glasses. And I think they garnished it with something. And I was like, that is such a ripoff. This is like the tiniest amount of eggnog. Whatever. So we go in to the little structure and we're standing there out of the cold. We're like, all right, maybe like warm, warm milk. Okay. We take a sip. It was like straight alcohol. I have no idea what Munich thinks eggnog is. But it is not what you would buy here. And and I put stuff in my eggnog, like, when I, you know, go get it. And you put Frangelico, just a little dash of, like, cinnamon. I don't know what this was, but it was, like, drinking rubbing alcohol. We And this is me at the end of study abroad, when my alcohol tolerance is probably higher than it ever will be again. We could barely drink it. Like, we were had tears. Like, we were laughing so hard standing there, but also trying not to be rude because we're in this tiny little hut. So we finished it and immediately had to go get food at the Christmas market because from that tiny little flute, we were, we were buzzed. Unless you get drunk. <laughs> yes, walking past all the judgmental baby Jesai. They're just staring at us. So, he could probably finish that cup without getting he'd buzz. Probably be fine. He'd turn it into judging you. Turn it back into water. Yeah. Um. So we ended up going to the center in the Marion Plaza, Plaza, and we got uh, our first like bratwurst, and it was just so it was so good. That's a good way to start it out. Have some disgusting eggnog, <laughs> but then wash it down with the bratwurst. Wash it down with the bratwurst. Get it out. And it was an interesting experience, and I now know that I probably wouldn't get eggnog again, or I would at least find out what's in it. I still don't know. What the bratwurst that you had? Did, was it just the sausage itself, or did it come in the little the little piece of bread that covers like a third of it? It came in the little piece of bread, and I think I got mustard on it, but it was just like a plain sausage. I had some other mm. kinds later, but yes, that's actually a good point that you bring up. Is you don't get bratwurst served in a sub roll or like a hot dog roll like you probably would here. It's in, yeah. yeah, like a tiny piece of bread almost for like the smallest hamburger. And it's, it's basically just to, just hold, to it. hold it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just to hold the centerpiece. The eating it is like the secondary mechanism of it. Yes. The primary reason that you get the bread is so you can hold the giant sausage without holding the giant sausage in you your bare hands. Grease on your hands. Exactly. It is kind of brilliant. It's just funny because where you're used to here, like having any type of like sausage or, or hot dog, like the bread is part of the eating experience. This is, you're like, well, this ratio makes no sense, but I'm for it because I hate the ends of like hot dogs or sub rolls when you like have to eat like a giant bite of bread just to get to like what's inside. Yeah, they don't mess around. Get rid of that. I like it. Let's not pretend that we care about that. And you're getting plenty of carbs in Munich anyways that you don't need the time. So after you ate your bratwurst, did you go get some more carbs in the form of liquid? Yes. So I think it was that I think it was that night that we then wandered and went down to Hofbrauhaus. Mm. Uh, I've gone there. Did you go? 
Yes. I liked it. We went at night. Um, I liked, personally, I liked the Christmas markets and having a drink outside more. But I thought it was really cool. It's, it's one of their main um, beer halls. And it's all, like, group seating, like, long wooden tables. So you're sitting right next to other people. There's a traditional oompa band playing, which I always think is really fun. Yeah, you love that. I love I love oompa bands. I'm the person that will find the Oktoberfest celebration in the U.S. that has the oompa bands. I don't want to hear anything else. Uh, That's one we went to. We we found that. We did. We had a whole day of Oktoberfest places. That yeah. was at. Um, that was at the brewery, or not the mm-hmm. not the brewery. It's Beat Brew Hall in Beat Harvard Brew Square. Hall. And right. then we also went to Ginger Man that had a brief celebration, but we also went to Democracy no, Brewing. That's the one I was thinking. That had another one too. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about when we went to Beat Brew Hall. That was my birthday. That was yeah. fun. Anyways, so it's, a, I highly, I mean, I don't know what your take on it was. I think it has become pretty touristy because it's some it's one of the main ones people go to but that being said it it does have a long and pretty interesting history and i really liked their beer i really liked the brew hall the hofbrau house there i went there with uh, my whole family when we went there and we really liked it i got one of the biggest beers that i've ever had in my life and had some good sausage and also enjoyed the band that was there too yeah so i had a great time there i loved it I thought it was so cool. Yes, the it's a giant beer. Yeah, I, I have a beer. picture of myself with it. With the beer. I got, did yeah. you get a pretzel? I got one of the pretzels there too. I think we got a pretzel too. Yeah. yeah. They have pretzel girls that go around in the yes. Durndal yes. with the pretzels. <laughs> that could be a job. I could do that job. I'd be down for that. Yeah, you don't even have to speak any German. No, because people just know exactly. It's like, hi, I'm the pretzel <laughs> girl, the only one dressed like this. Would you like a pretzel? <laughs> Uh, I loved it. I thought that was really fun. They had some interesting stories about how I think only men used to be able to go there way back. They'd have pots under the tables, so you didn't always have to get up when you were drinking <laughs> your beer. I don't know why that's one of the facts that's a simpler stood out time. in my head. A simpler time. A smellier time. But I thought that was really fun. I'd, I'd really recommend it. And then the next day, we did one of the best free walking tours I have ever done. Uh, it, it must have been three hours long. It started wow. at the gates of the city and then sort of sprawled out. And this is where my memory is failing me. But we ended in an area that was a little bit further from Marion Plots. And there's Super important monuments that I took pictures of over there that I believe is related to World War II. Mm. Uh, but the thing that I do remember is there's a medieval Christmas market over there. I don't know if you went to that, Jordan. No, we didn't. We didn't go there. It's this tiny Christmas market, and actually, if you just googled medieval Christmas market Munich, it'll pop up so people can find it. And by doing that, you'll also be able to explore the area around it and learn a lot more than what I'm going to remember to be able to share. But it's cool because it's walled in and everything that is there, costumes, booth, things that are sold, have to have been able to have or or were made and built in a way that they would have in the medieval times. 
So it's so interesting. They also have like a traditional Saint Nick. So rather than a Santa Claus costume, there's like a traditional Saint Nick that looks more like a like a pope or a bishop uh, wandering around. So it was a really cool experience. So are the shop vendors dressed in medieval wear mm-hmm. too? Yes, That's fun. I think pretty and much then all is of this, them. Is this only in? Christmas or do they have a just a regular medieval market throughout the year or is this only in Christmas time? I think it's only Christmas time from what I saw. Yeah it was really cool it looks like I can't tell if they break it down every year or leave it up but it looks like it's constructed in the same way sort of every year and it's a little off the beaten path so less people are there. There are tourists but there's also just some other people from the area out for Christmas and like doing something different so I loved that. What kind of stuff did you get? Did you get any food or drinks? Or I didn't get snacks? I didn't get anything there because it was just the end of the free walking tour. And then we wanted to head back and spend some more time in, in the main areas. Did they um, accept credit card? That's a great question. I think that they did. Yeah, it wasn't <gasps> cash only. I know that's breaking the medieval. <laughs> but then again, like they wouldn't even accept euros if we were talking <laughs> medieval. I'd probably have to exactly. like waste some I'll take gold. a shekel. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'd have to go transfer my money at the medieval bank. That would actually make it funnier. It'd be, like, a really exactly. long bit. Um, but some other cool things about the free walking tour is he they were able to take us into some churches, which I know we talk about kind of, you've seen one church, you've seen them all. But the one that's on or near Nuhasserstrasse is actually really gorgeous, and uh, I'm trying to think of the name of... Oh, it is St. Michael's. And I think it had a pretty heavy influence on some of Baroque architecture. So you can go and see these big vaulted ceilings. And it is just really beautiful to see. But the second church that we went to is so cool. Because of... It's in... It's called just like the Munich Cathedral, I believe. But it's... There's this legend called... Der Tufelstritt. Which is the devil's footprint. I don't know if you went and saw this, Jordan. No, but your pronunciation is off the charts today. I am trying so hard. Uh, Okay, I looked up the legend because I was going to butcher it. But, so there's this legend that when this cathedral was planning to be built in 1468, they were looking for money to build it and they needed funding. So the legend says that the architect made a deal with the devil that the devil would pay for the church as long as it was a celebration of darkness, which meant that there could not be any windows in the church. Hmm. So after the church was finished, the architect brought the devil into the church to show him that he held up his side of the bargain, but was trying to trick him and had him standing behind these columns that blocked the windows So the devil was satisfied at first and was going to leave, but then he took one step further into the church and then saw the giant windows that were hidden behind the columns. And he was so angry that in fury for being tricked, he stamped his foot in the ground and left a black footprint in one of the tiles and then left. Hmm. So... You can go and visit and see, like, the the footprint and put your foot in it. Honestly, like, this is, I mean, beyond the fact that we're talking in, like, biblical lore and mythology, 
there aren't any columns in the church that hide the windows. <laughs> the footprint is like pretty clearly someone stepped in a form of cement maybe when like the church was being rebuilt at some point versus in 1468 so there's all these things around it but for some reason it is still such a big thing and did you put your foot in it i did put my foot in it and i got a picture of my foot in the devil's foot by the way my foot is apparently smaller than the devil's foot so (laughs) no hoofs either (laughs) but it was just it's such a cool like little fun legend that i probably wouldn't have went seeking out or known about myself and and that's the type of stuff that you do remember and get to see when you do the walking tours with people living in the area yeah so did you go there on the tour on your walking tour yeah okay yep we went in there on the walking tour we went in the other church saint michael's on the walking tour and then just sort of all over the city for probably three hours but i'm sure you were pretty hungry yes at the end of the walking tour i was very hungry jordan you couldn't you couldn't have set that up better because i was about to say wow, my segue it's impeccable it's amazing you have <laughs> you know what i have planned to say next before i've even stopped talking long enough to think about the next words coming out of my mouth but my favorite part of this entire trip was that moment after the walking tour. Now, mind you, this is in December, so it has been freezing everywhere we've traveled. And we got the random warmest day. It was beautiful. The sun the sun broke through, and it was warm enough that some of the outdoor beer gardens opened. Oh, my God. And our tour guide on one of the breaks when we were walking from between sort of the main old city center and then going to the area that ended with the medieval Christmas market pointed out one of the really good beer gardens and told us about this food we needed to try. So we trekked our way back and we went in to like a butcher or deli, but it was like a real, like a real butcher. Like you could get slabs of meat, like you could order different things. And there was something called Leberkäse Samel. I don't know. I, I may have talked about it on a podcast before, but it's basically like a roll, a f- homemade roll. And then in between it is this big chunk of the best way to describe it that is underselling it is meatloaf. It's a meat mixture and you put like mustard on it. So we ordered Leberkäse Samel. We went to the beer garden that I believe, thank you, Snapchat filter, is called Victorianmarkt. Um, it's in an area near some other cool outdoor markets that are there throughout the year, not just the Christmas markets. So you can buy fruits and vegetables. There's mm. some outdoor seating that's really cute that we had stumbled on the night before. And you just line up. You go up to the stand serving the beer that – Again, it, it was randomly open just because it was warm enough. There's one beer. Like, the beer gardens have their one beer they specialize in. You're not picking from a list of your favorite IPA or a, an ale or whatever. You get it in your mug or your stein. And then you go find a seat at, like, picnic tables. So it's that still kind of German hall idea where it's just, like, long shared tables. You stand around, like, huddling your Leberkäsemel like close to you and your beer so it doesn't spill and you finally grab a spot and sit down and it was just one of those 
perfect moments. It it was just delicious, like the hard roll against the like meat with like the German mustard and then the yeah. beer to wash it down. And we were able to take our winter coats off and be in a light sweater surrounded by people, which is such a weird thing to think about right now. I can't remember the last time I was surrounded by people and not panicking at the grocery store that are just all happy like they all flocked here because it was just this beautiful day and it was a moment that we weren't in a museum or on a tour but you're just soaking up a piece of the culture that that's just about being there yeah i can appreciate the energy that must have been yeah it, it was incredible uh and it was one of the last really nice days that winter too so we felt so lucky to have experienced it and then after that, on the same day, I believe, we went and walked to St. Peter's Church. A lot of churches on this trip. Uh, and the coolest thing about it is that you can pay a couple euro. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's not super expensive. And climb a lot of steps to the top of the church tower and you just get the most amazing, pretty much 360 view of Munich. You can see down into Marienplatz and, and the Rathaus uh, mm-hmm. and all the way through. And so we have the sun shining over all of the rooftops and people at the Christmas markets. And that was just, it was just an incredible view that I can't recommend more highly doing that. And it was something that inspired me that now when I travel, I don't always make it, but I try to find places like that where you can walk up and, and get a really high vantage point of the, the like city the that you're bird's in. bird's eye view of the city around. Exactly. I think it helps you kind of orient yourself too. So that was gorgeous. Something I did not love is in the, well, it's so cool, but it freaked me out. In St. Peter's Church, I don't, the church itself, I, I don't remember it being super memorable. I'm sure it was gorgeous, but again, it was a church. Um, but they have the relics of a Christian martyr named Mundita. And normally, like, I've been to my fair share of churches in my time. And normally it's, I think I've seen, like, a heart of a saint. Like, weird organs or a, a forearm. This is a full skeleton. Like, not in the ground. Like, in a glass case. Covered in jewels. And she has fake eyes in her like eye socket like her eye sockets because there's no eyeballs there anymore and there's just like gems across her like rotted teeth oh it creeps me out I, I get it it's it's you know part of preservation and it has to do with martyrs and catholic faith and churches but it was freaky and i did not like it i for one think that American churches need to have some martyr bodies. Some more spooky things. Yeah. All of our churches don't have that stuff going on. No, because do you know how hard it already... Could you imagine my mom trying to bring, like, five-year-old Lauren to church, like, on a normal Sunday versus now I'd be like, there's a spooky skeleton in the corner while I'm saying the Our Father, no thank They you. bring... Germans bring little German Lauren to church when there's a body five feet away. Well, they're way tougher. <laughs> no i don't know it just it doesn't freak you out did you go see it i've seen bodies like that in churches and it doesn't yes. freak you out no i think it's very interesting 
I think it's interesting, but it makes me face my own mortality. A lot of people aren't comfortable with that. <laughs> no, I'm planning on living forever, so it really interferes <laughs> with that plan. <laughs> like, ugh, good thing I'm going to make it for cryogenic suspension. Hopefully. Maybe you'll die one day off. Don't say that. That's so depressing. Actually, Not to jinx you. <laughs> I wouldn't want to like be preserved at that point. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. You've got like... 20 or 30 years to your prime to when you want to be frozen and then after that it's like why bother it's like why bother that's until you can be engineered with Mm. robotics on your body like so then you just you're youthful again yeah and then you just become a cyborg and can live forever that's crazy forever just because that's crazy anyways and then hopefully there won't be cyborgs reappear somewhere yeah, to assassinate you. Yeah. But hopefully Cyborgborn won't be in a church anytime soon. I hope not. But I, I do recommend going and seeing it. If you're there to climb the tower, may as well. Yeah, you might as well stop by. And let us know. Let us know if you're Team Jordan or Team Warren on staring at decayed bodies. That's why we got lost in Prague, because we were looking for that hand. I know, I know. We were looking for, but wasn't the hand inside the church and we were looking for it at like 10 p.m. and of course the church was closed? Yeah, of course, but we were still looking for it. I don't know what the logic was there. Was that a, was that a martyr? Or I, a martyr's hand? Yeah, I think. Didn't someone steal it? There's something weird. I think most of the bodies that they keep that are like that or appendages are because they were people who were, sanctified Mm. or deemed holy because the whole process for why that happens is because they were so holy that for whatever reason their body just didn't decompose interesting i have this weird memory of either someone stole the hand from the church in prague or i thought it was the hand of someone that stole something from the church i'm gonna have to look this up now that was I thought it was some. I thought there was something about theft around the. the Definitely could be, yeah. Or maybe we had had a couple drinks and we were gonna steal the arm. I don't know. We started thinking about our hand being in (laughs) there. We were thinking about it. We got lost. It's Uh, the absinthe. It it was the absinthe. No absinthe (laughs) in Munich, but incredible beer. Yes. Um, but there were two last main things that I really wanted to talk about. From my time in Munich. And one was, this is just a random side note, but, and again, I'm having the weirdest deja vu that I feel like I've already talked about this. So maybe I have, but Sam and I, which it was just so fun being with Sam. First of all, Sam, if you're listening this, we should travel again sometime soon because it's lovely traveling with one other person that, or two other people that you're the same speed as and interested in the same sort of things when you're walking around but we randomly came upon a we were exploring the christmas markets and as you get away from the main one there's this really cool one that has this like windmill looking object in the middle and i guess that's a main centerpiece of that christmas market it's more modern a little bit of a party atmosphere it has really cool crafts and little places to hang out around fires so we're wandering away from that And we came upon a drag Christmas market. And it was so cool. We had no idea what we were wandering into. It basically was almost fenced in. I can't remember if 
you needed to like, I don't think you had to pay to go in, but there was like a door and there might have been a line, but it was still outdoors. And we were just like, wow, like there's music, like rave music coming from this area. And there were all these like pink lights flashing. So we're like, let's check it out. And all the stands were really cool. And there was a like Christmas drag performance happening on this like show that they set up. Amazing voices. We could not understand any of the jokes because it was in German, but people loved it. Everyone was laughing. We were we were like laughing with it. I wish we could have understood it, but it was just such an interesting thing to to come upon. It was so it was so fun. It really is. Uh, so after you saying that, I'm curious as to how many other Christmas markets you could have potentially stumbled into right? in Munich, considering the three that you've walked into right and and we just kind of stumbled upon them so honestly there might be there probably are more just like as you explore further throughout the city it it was a really cool experience and i just remember they had these these awesome um ornaments that had like male mermaids on them and very fun poses and (laughs) i didn't get one because i was being really cheap from study abroad but i wish i had it to decorate my christmas tree you should was, have taken a picture so you could at least look at it. I did. Oh, uh, I think I think I took a photo of it. I'm gonna have to double check, but that was just such a fun memory that you stumble upon the coolest stuff. And again, that's not something catered to tourists. Like yeah. that's something that you're there and you know about it. So I just love that's that. not in your Rick Steves book. That's not. Yeah, that'll be in your Lauren Liedberg book <laughs> coming 2025. Um. So that was amazing. And then on our last full day in Munich, uh, the Wombats Hostel we were staying in, something that was cool that I don't remember the other one having in Vienna is they had tours that left right from the lobby. So you could sign up right there and they would come in. I think that's how we did our free walking tour. And then we chose to do a paid tour that that I think it was Sunday and go to Neuschwanstein. Mm-hmm. Did you go to Neuschwanstein, Jordan? You did. Yes. Yes. So I thought, so that's, so we took the, like, we walked from the hotel and took a train, which I always love taking different types of transportation. So efficient, so clean. My word. And then that drops you off and you kind of walk up a hill through some villages, which is the first time I ever got currywurst, which I Mm. think we talked about. Last Maybe time, last yeah. time. Yeah, but it's... That's a good place for it. It's It was so cool. With, like, bratwurst, it has the fries on the side, but it has this curry on top of it. Unbelievable. So we got currywurst. We walked up this snaking road through these villages, and Neuschwanstein is just... It, People say that Beauty and the Beast, the castle at the beginning of that animated film, is based on this because it's just this tall medieval looking castle it's not medieval but it's it's just gorgeous on this rock hill you can walk out across this bridge and take incredible photos of it but i think the most interesting part besides walking in and and taking the tour is learning about ludwig the second of bavaria and he was the one I can't remember as much of this as I wish, and I wish I had my stupid iPhone notes because I bet it's all in there, Um, but he was the one that built the castle, 
mm-hmm. and basically went bankrupt doing it. He was a king of Bavaria. He did not use Bavarian money, though. He used his own personal funds but had to, like, keep buying money and or loaning money and getting money until he had no more money. And the palace was never finished. So you see parts of it that are just like, oh, this was totally left here. And he did it in all these really old-fashioned styles and things that would start off as just being like, oh, a small gathering room for him to host people would turn into this, like, giant, magnificent throne room that was a show of power. And the deadlines he set were impossible, so people would be working all day and all night to try and like shift with this changing plan of this castle that was like expanding and becoming grandiose and there are a lot of stories about him starting to go mad like crazy as he was building the castle that I think are just so interesting until I think it was the ministers or the ministry of Bavaria actually had him deemed publicly insane Mm-hmm. And the castle became a sort of insane asylum for one person where the doors and windows would be locked and barred from the outside. So he now is in this giant kind of crazy place all by himself. Yeah. And I don't remember a lot else about him besides all of the questions and mystery around his death where he was out on a lake, I believe with his psychiatric doctor, which there's also questions of, I guess, the only way besides, like, a coup that you could unseat a king was to have them deemed not mentally able to rule rule a kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was out there with the doctor on the lake. They were supposed to come back. They didn't come back for, like, eight hours, so people were sent out looking for them. And they found the king and the doctor both dead in the lake, but neither of them had drowned and they did not have water in their lungs. Um, the doctor had some like scratches on his hands and fingernails, but like all the king had was like a scrape on his knee. And I, I can't remember what it was deemed as, but there's all, still all of these, a lot of people from the Bavarian area of Germany still think that it was a murder. Some people say yeah. it was self-inflicted. It's very, very interesting. Yeah, it's very, it's a very interesting part of Bavarian history and the castle. If you all haven't seen it, if you Google it, Neuschwanstein, it is iconic. Like you have seen Mm it, (laughs) you You just just don't don't know know that you've you just don't know that you've seen it. Mm -hmm. Everywhere that you look at it, it's picturesque, and like Lauren was saying, the history behind it is very interesting. Uh, I I went there with my family when they all visited me after my trip and after my time in Sicily. And we went, we stayed in Schwangau, the town that's right next to Neuschwanstein. We stayed there for a night after going there on a trip, um, which was really neat. I didn't Uh, know you stayed there. Yeah, it's it's a small little tourist town and it's really cute. Uh, It's very, it's like a hamlet, a vacation hamlet. it's fun. And then while you're up there too, you can see Hohenschwangau, which is the castle that his parents lived in mm. because that was the old uh, seat of the of the realm or county or whatever it was at the time. But then right. he built his own castle beside his parents. Like they're literally just on top on opposite Shoot. sides of a hill. I forgot yeah. about so that. So it's really neat. 
Can't you... Are, in in one direction, are the picturesque mountains in the back, the Alps? Yeah. It's they are, right? right on, yeah. yeah, it's right on the border of um, uh, Austria, actually. Okay. That's what I and thought. And then uh, Zugspitz, which is one of the taller mountains of uh, the Alps, is actually right there, too. And my parents and Taylor and I went up there. Oh, wow. Which was really neat. That's, how did you go up? We... It was quite the journey through Bavaria and the Alps because we took some trains. We took a number of different trains and rail cars all through the Bavarian countryside. I I know my dad is going to text me and say that I'm wrong about this, but I think that we went. (laughs) That at least means he's listening. Thanks, Mr. Patterson. I I think we went from Munich to Zugspitz because we went from Munich. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, Dad, because uh, we went from <laughs> Munich to Schwangau to see Neue Schwanstein, and I think we went back to Munich to go to Zugspitz. Gotcha. We didn't go from Schwangau to Zugspitz. Directly. Yeah, but regardless, you had to go through the Bavarian countryside, and it's it is absolutely beautiful because you're in the valley of the Alps, and then you oh. can see all the small little villages and cute little homes sprinkled throughout everywhere. It's amazing. And then we took a cable car up to the top of the mountain, which was insane Incredible. but yeah Neuschwanstein look it up yeah go and well I'll post a picture of that definitely yeah. probably one of the better pictures I have from my time there that I remember the story behind so that's yes. also good but I don't know I, I love places like that that are not only gorgeous but the history is just fascinating yeah and it's and funny it's, no go it's ahead. pretty contemporary too yeah I think it happened in the late 1800s yeah it's not that old which is also what's fascinating about the castle because again like it was specifically built to it doesn't look modern like there's parts of it that that truly feel like it could have been a castle from and it was no use strategically no time to not at all he just wanted a really pretty castle on the top of that rock he wanted a fairy tale and you know what no, he Got didn't it. get it. He didn't get it. <laughs> it's not even finished, which is one of the funniest things. It was just like, oh, stop production. Yeah. Like, we have no money. Let's cut that off. Um, yeah, I would highly, highly recommend making the trip out there and getting to experience that and getting the curry burst on the way. But I, those were the main things that I experienced in Munich. I tried on a dirndl, which was exciting. Um, Did you buy one? No, I didn't because... It's probably for the better. It is so expensive and people don't wear it. Like the only time you would wear that is if you went to an Oktoberfest celebration. And again, it's probably just like the Americans or tourists in them. Granted, if I did go to Oktoberfest, I I probably would be one of the people that bought the $60, $80 dirndl to wear (laughs) for that one day. Um but it was, I don't know, it was just fun to fun to try on. And Sam did get, uh, oh my gosh, what are they called? What's the male, the Lederhosen. Sam, yeah. in the same store, they made Lederhosen that is like beautiful leather with, uh, I think, stitching on the side. And yeah. Sam, Sam got, like she found a pair that Sam just fell in love with, so. I understand. Yeah. They're neat. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, Sam got a lot of use out of them, wearing them around. Like, I think she, like, just rocked them. Absolutely. Good. So, I did not do that. But maybe next time. So, I would, all in all, 
I would highly recommend Munich. I think it's a fun place. I would go again for the Christmas markets, and I would highly recommend if you're doing a Christmas market tour or you just want to see a Christmas market, Munich is a great place to start because it has so many. That being said, I think if I go back, I have, it's so touristy, but I have always wanted to go to Oktoberfest, which is not celebrated in October, by the way, um, for anyone listening. It's like September yeah, because it's better weather, so better for tourism. Uh, but I would love to go to that for sure. Would you like to do a question corner, Jordan? That's what we're here for. All right. So one of the new ones that was just submitted is how do you go about budgeting for a trip? So the way that I do it is I have, after all the trips that I've done, I have a general framework and a general amounts that I know that I can work with. And then I just go from there because I've, after going on the various trips that I've done, I've found that I have an average amount spent. Hmm. And I've found that I can stay within that and have an enjoyable time and also not break the bank. So I always try to structure my flights, my housing, and my other trips around that. Of course, it's not hard and fast. I provide myself with some leeway in it, Mm -hmm. but it generally helps me have a frame of mind. So I know I have an understanding of what I'm going to come back with. More so, what am I going to come back without in Mm -hmm. that I've spent my money, but also prepare me um, to actually spend the money along the way too. And then in terms of budgeting, I have a savings account that I continually put money into to just keep replenishing it, which helps too, because it's not pulling off a Band-Aid. It's just gradually. Yeah, that's smart. Honestly, I did a lot better at budgeting when it was because it was an absolute necessity like for study mm-hmm. abroad or trips in college where you know I, I wasn't working full-time and it was if I spend over x amount I'm I'm really gonna be in trouble um yeah and now more what I do is a lot of where I track prices is on the front end so I have usually a number in mind that I'm like willing to spend on the things I need to book to get there. So taking that in mind in hostel versus hotel, or if I am doing some sort of cruise, like trying to see that that actually a few times has been less expensive than traveling around by land based on various deals. Uh, and then the airfare. And then I I didn't do this most recently because it's when you go on the cruise, like your food is usually included. But if I'm traveling by day, I, I try to have an estimate of what I want to spend on food per day. And there are certain things are, that I have like higher budgeted. So food, drinks, and experiences I'm willing to spend a little bit more on. But then where I really check myself is when it comes to buying a souvenir or a trinket or a t-shirt, something like that, or a $80 dirndl that I'm never going to wear. And that's, I guess that's not quite totally budgeting, but it's how in my head I sort of balance it and kind of decide like the value and how much it costs versus the reward I'm going to get from it. 
I play some monetary games with my numbers to make it a little easier on my trips because I have a few different budgets in my normal life. I have a food budget and then I have like a miscellaneous expense budget that is for uh, books that I want to buy, clothes, etc. So when I'm on a trip, I sometimes will leave my trip budget and go into my food budget because mm. I'm technically, I still need to technically well, yeah, eat. Yeah, you have to eat. It's so the same I'm, as, yeah. Exactly. So I can dip gotcha. into that if I want to, to try to lessen the burden of spending my travel money on something like that. But That's actually having, smart. Yeah, it's, what, it, it's worked for me. But having, having a general mindset of how much you're willing to spend while you're planning your trip makes it much easier when you're actually on your mm-hmm. trip because you're not constantly thinking about, can I afford this? Can I think right. about this? Et cetera, et cetera. And I think that part of that is also when I'm looking to go somewhere, you should get an idea of the just cost of living there. Not that you're living there, but how much does it cost if you want to buy a sandwich somewhere? So for example, in Iceland, that was really uh, inexpensive flights that we were able to get. But then everything is wildly expensive there. Food, drinks, everything. So if I redid Iceland and it was less of a hurrah and I was, wasn't was going with my parents, which is a trip that I want to plan in the next year or two, uh, I've heard that people will actually, if you're renting, whether you're renting like a hotel or you're doing one of the vans that you can sleep in, people will pack like spaghetti, just like a yeah. crap ton of spaghetti so that you can do that for most of your meals or sandwiches and then treat yourself to a few. So yeah. It sort of depends on the situation and, and where you're going as well, because the way you're budgeting for Iceland is going to be very different than the way you're budgeting for Budapest. Yeah. One of the factors that I use in trying to level things out in my mind is looking at the hostel prices, because that's mm-hmm. the point of reference that I've found works for me in terms of budgeting for the trips. For example, hostels in Budapest, you can find a good one decent one for 15 to 20 dollars then in paris the low end of the spectrum is like 40 to 45 dollars and then anything above that it's typically going to be around 50 to 60 dollars so that provides a good point of reference for how much you can expect to spend just on your lodging there if you're planning on spending it in a hostel for example yeah And, and i think something that's also important is something we've touched on that's like it depends on what's most important to you so if you're someone that can't share a room with other people or part of the thing you like about vacation is staying in a like comfy bed with fluffy pillows then that's gonna eat a certain portion of your budget versus being able to do some of the other things so it's definitely pretty personal jordan have you stayed um in all of your travels have you stayed in any sort of airbnb or hotel or do you strictly do hostels I stayed in a a, uh, hotel one time, Mm -hmm. and that was because I didn't bring this up in another podcast because it was pretty soon after, and I may cut it out of this, to be honest. I stayed in a hotel because in the hostel that I was staying in had bed bugs, and I had a strong evidence that I was a victim of them. So what I a went to, diplomatic way to say I got eaten viciously yeah. by bed bugs. 
what happened was I was in Lyon on my most recent trip and I was staying in a hostel and in the morning I woke up to find that I had red dots all over my skin. After looking around uh, and looking up online, I came to the conclusion that I had bed bugs that had uh, bit me during the night. This happens sometimes. It's You can't really blame a hostel because there's so many people coming in and out. But how, what you can blame a hostel for is how they respond to that. Mm. So I went to the front desk and I told them about it. And they in turn gave me back my money for the night and then the money that I was going to spend for the next consecutive nights that I was planning on staying there. This put me into a bad situation because I didn't have anywhere to stay at that time. This all happened at 9 a.m. So I had a train to Paris the next day to go back uh, and because my flight was going to be the day after that. So I spent the entire morning trying to think of what I can do. So what I ended up doing was taking a train back to Paris that day, feeling pretty disgusting. And then I also bought a hotel that I found in Paris for two nights. Why I bought a hotel was because I didn't want to go to a hostel where I could possibly give it to other people. Mm. And I needed to have a place that had laundry so that I Mm. could purge myself of these bugs. Private bathroom. Yes, exactly. And it was a nice way to treat myself after the mental pull of waking up to bed bugs is and so i got on the train to paris i got to my hotel uh after a long struggle and i immediately emptied all of my bags of all of my clothes i even went to a french supermarket to buy like pajamas that i could wear (laughs) i spent 35 euros on pajamas that i could wear while i was doing my laundry and (laughs) i did laundry I did my, I washed my clothes twice uh, in two different cycles. And then I also washed my bags in mm. two different cycles too. So I put my bags into the laundry and the, my room was so nice. It was so nice <laughs> and I needed that. But the whole night I was just stressed out because I'm like, I'm going to gonna get them again in, yeah. this, in this bed. Right. But I didn't and you I didn't. was able to salvage a time in Paris after that. And then... When I came home, again, I was stressed because the thing with the bed bugs is you don't know that you have them. And so it's so stressful because you don't know if you've killed them all. Right. So what I did when I got back home is I did the same exact thing again. I did laundry three different times. I washed my clothes. I washed my bags, all of it. And for the extra measure, I put my my uh, travel backpack into a black garbage bag and just closed it. And it's been there ever since October. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, just because I don't have any reason to use it. Right. And they it's die bad. after some time. So it's so the pandemic has worked and that I don't have to get out and use <laughs> it again. So I, I, the long, the short answer to your question is yes, I have stayed at a hotel, but only for extraneous circumstances. <laughs> wow. That is, I'm so glad I asked that because I, I vaguely yeah. remember you messaging me bits and pieces of the story when you were, because yes. I just remember getting the message that was like, oh my God, I have bed bugs, basically. Yeah, it was, it, it was honestly traumatizing and I, more so mentally, 
Like I didn't have a, I didn't have a bad, I didn't have a bad situation and where I was covered with the bites, but enough that I could see it, but it's just mentally a toll on you that you have to think about it. Like what to do. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was thinking about my next trip because my next trip would have been in April if none of this had happened. And at the time I was thinking like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with going back to a hostel. So I don't know if I'm ready for that. So the time off has been good for me. At Which the is least, crazy uh, for you. You're like I know. Mr. Hostel Man. I know. I think I'm okay now, but the time off has been good for me to kind of yeah. reset from thanks. that. Hashtag thanks COVID. Yeah. And again, you can't really blame hostels for this because that's just the nature of just the way that they work. Like yeah. the traffic that happens in between them. And you you could get them in other places. Exactly. Well. You can get them in hotels. You can get them in your own bed. Like yeah. it's it's just a matter of life. It what you have to judge them on is how they Respond. react to that after you tell them about it. Right. So and I got an email from the owner of the hostel and he was nice and upfront about it. So That's I have nice. no qualms with them. That's good. But, yeah. Um I think you should keep that in. I think yeah, it's I important. May. I think it's <laughs> I think it's just like a gross thing to talk about, which is why I it didn't is, want to bring it up in the first but I think episodes about it. I know I, I it is, but at the same time, like it's, I think it also highlights a really important part of travel that we don't talk about a ton, like generally or on this podcast, where it's like yeah. there are certain normal, like normal <laughs> life does not leave you, like when you're traveling, yeah. like you still have to deal with things. And sometimes they can even be worse or exacerbated because you're in vacation mode and you're exactly. in a city or a culture that you aren't familiar with. Exactly. So Things happen. But I got to yeah. stay in a really nice hotel out of it. <laughs> that is really nice. What a good excuse for that. Yeah. I needed that. Thanks for listening. If you have questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to email us at unravelourtravel at gmail.com.